Well, good morning. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. When Jesus began to teach his followers how to pray, he said this, Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth. How? In the same way that it's done in heaven. Uh, Make earth look more like heaven. That was how Jesus taught us to pray. And then he continued by telling us to pray for our daily bread. Why? Well, it's because we all need daily bread. We need food to sustain us, to make us uh, live our lives. Every single one of us needs it. And we should expect our daily bread on earth in the same way that we would expect to be fed and taken care of in heaven. And when I think about eating in heaven, I think about eating the good stuff, maybe the stuff that I'm not naturally going to spend my money on, but that I really am looking forward to, the stuff that leaves your body feeling really good, uh, the, the good stuff. That's what I'm thinking about. So when I pray, give us this day our daily bread, I'm praying and saying, God, if you're telling me to pray that it'll look like it does in heaven, then I'm asking for you to give me this day my daily bread in the same way that I would expect you to give it to me in heaven. Jesus taught us to ask for that on earth as well. Now for this year, a prayer for our daily bread for many people has become more than an oft-repeated prayer that we just casually throw out in church services or as a part of our daily uh, prayers. It's become an actual cry, uh, a need-based prayer for many people. For many people that we know it's been a cry for help. Jesus, will you give us today our daily bread? Over the last year, Massachusetts food pantries have seen a 91% increase in people asking for food. 22% of children in our state live in homes that experience food insecurity. And 18% of all homes in Massachusetts are food insecure. Jesus, this day, will you give me my daily bread? This prayer is said by many in our communities day after day. And I believe that Jesus does answer those prayers. But the way that he does is often through you and I, through his followers. And part of our calling as a church is to be pursuing kingdom of God justice. And that means that when we look at our communities and we see injustice, things like food insecurity or homelessness or elder abuse or our kids being bullied and physically and emotionally assaulted, when we see immigrant families struggling to make ends meet, when we see racism and sexism and all other types of isms, when we see injustice, we as followers of Jesus are to feel the Father's heart cry for them. We're to say, Father, let your kingdom come on earth the same way that it is coming in heaven. Let it be so. Because we want to see righteousness rule. We want to see injustice defeated. We want to see the kingdom of God come in our communities. But how? How do we see this become a reality in our world? Well, one way to respond to this is simply to react. Things happen and then we respond to them. Uh, We have a global pandemic and then we respond to what it is that we see going on. And that's good. Being nimble and flexible, I think, has benefited us as a church a a lot over the past year, over the past year, because we've been able to love on people really well and and provide in in ways that we may not have thought we could have provided. Uh, We've been flexible and I think 
think it's served us and our community really well. We've been able to do the things that we've needed to do. But listen to the definition of reactive. It's acting in response to a situation rather than creating or controlling it. And I personally don't like the word all that much when I start to think of it from a definitional definitional perspective, acting in response rather than creating or controlling what's going on. Here's another option for us, continually doing kingdom of God work in sustainable ways. Sustainability is defined as the ability to be maintained. In a sense, it's focused on creating a structure for seeing righteousness rule and seeing injustice defeated. Uh, Not just when there's a pandemic or a crisis happening in our community, but at all times. The question we need to ask ourselves as followers of Jesus is this. Are we called to react when situations arise? Or as followers of Jesus who want to see the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven, uh, are we called to move in more sustainable ways that consistently bring more of the kingdom into our communities? By the way that I phrase that, I'm sure that you have an idea which way it is that I think that we need to be going. I think sustainability is the way forward. So how can we create structure for seeing righteousness rule and injustice be defeated at all times? I believe the answer lies, at least in part, in creating a culture of sustainable generosity. Because I believe that the kingdom of God is sustainably generous. And I believe that we as a church are called to create a culture of sustainable generosity. And I believe that it is a biblical principle. And so this morning, I want to take us on a journey that begins in Jerusalem in the first church and travels west across the Mediterranean Sea to this city called Corinth that Paul writes to in in 2 Corinthians. And we're going to look at, at this idea of this trail of sustainable generosity in the New Testament. We're in a series called In Focus, and we're looking at the calling that Jesus has given to our church. I want to invite you to pray with me as we begin this morning and to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to speak to our hearts as we jump into his word. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here with us right now. We ask for you to come and to fill our spaces, our homes, our cars, uh, our offices, Wherever we're at, God, we ask for you to come and to fill us right now. We thank you for the, the, the blueprint for how to live life well that you've given to us in the Bible. And I pray that as we jump in to your word, that we will learn what it is that you're calling us to even more clearly, that you will speak to our hearts. I pray that you will uh, re- renew us that you will restore us, that you will excite us, that you will build more and more passion within us to live out the calling that you've given to each and every one of us as your followers. We ask for you to come in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37 as we begin. Uh, we're going to look at this. Uh, you can always uh, click on the tab below the chat that says Bible and read it there or look it up on your phone as well. But this is what it says. All the believers were united in heart and mind. They felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything that they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land and houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field he owned, and he brought the money to the apostles." This, this short section uh, makes astonishing claims. They shared everything they had. They had everything in common. There was no needy among them. What an outlandish, audacious uh, statement to make. It's over the top, but it's not communism versus capitalism. It's not socialism versus democracy. No, I think it's just simply over the top generosity. And I think it's the economic system of the church, which I would call sustainable generosity. And I want to draw a line of generosity this morning for us uh, from the early church in Jerusalem that we just read uh, across to the city of Corinth, uh, from the book of Acts to the letter of 2 Corinthians. You see, Barnabas, who was just mentioned here, who sold a plot of land so that he could pro help provide for the poor in their community, he gives generously to this first church in Jerusalem. And then later on in Acts chapter 11, we're told that he gets sent out to go to Antioch to help pastor a church there. And when he's in Antioch, he hears about Paul. And so he goes, grabs Paul, brings him back, and Paul begins to pastor with him. And then eventually they are sent out to go do missions work. And when they are out doing missions work, Paul comes to Corinth and begins to disciple and pour into uh, the church that is just starting there in Corinth. And later on, Paul writes a letter called 2 Corinthians to this church in Corinth. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul expounds upon this idea of sustainable generosity. And I want to talk about it from Paul's perspective, this man who was discipled by Barnabas, who willfully gave of his own uh, financially to help provide for the poor in his community. And I want to look at it from two angles, individual and communal generosity. And these are purely Stephen's own uh, separations. These aren't uh, separated in the Bible that way. Uh, but I think it's a helpful way for us to think about this idea of sustainable generosity from a church and from an individual standpoint. So let's start by looking at it from individuals uh, by looking in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. Just flip forward uh, a few pages, uh, I don't know, 20 pages or so uh, for where you're at in Acts, and you should get there. So let's look at verse 1 in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. Now I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They're being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. First thing here, 
Generosity always follows joy, and joy comes from encountering Jesus. One of my things that I like to do when I uh, come uh, against different ideas like this in the Bible is to dig into what the word, where it's used in other parts of the Bible. And so I looked at this word, abundant joy, to see like where where else is it used? What can I gain to help me understand what it looks like to be filled with this joy? And there were two stories out of many that stuck out to me. One is in Acts chapter. It's the story of Philip, who is a deacon in the church in Jerusalem, who gets sent out because the church is being persecuted. So he goes out and he goes to Samaria. And he's there in this town of Samaria, reaching these people for the first time with the good news of Jesus. And it says that he's filled with the Holy Spirit and that powerful things are happening in the Holy Spirit. It says that uh, demons are being cast out of people. It says that people who are partially and completely paralyzed are being completely healed and are able to go about their regular lives without any issues from that point forward. And it says that in response to those amazing things, there was great joy. In Luke 15, Jesus tells this story about a man who lost one sheep out of a hundred. So he takes his 99 and he puts them away and then he goes to find the one. And when he finds it, he throws it on his shoulders and he carries it back home and he gets home and he throws a huge party to celebrate the fact that he had found the one that had been lost safely brought him home. And Jesus says that the same thing happens whenever one person comes to know Jesus, that all of heaven is filled with joy. When you've experienced joy because you've encountered the love and the power of Jesus, the only appropriate answer to that sort of joy is generosity, Paul tells us, because you want everybody else to experience the joy that you have had the privilege of experiencing. Sustainable generosity is always filled with joy. Here's the second thing. Sustainable generosity is never forced. It's always given willingly. The Macedonian church, Paul tells us here, gave freely. They weren't wealthy. They didn't have a lot of money, but they gave of what they had freely. Generosity in the kingdom of God is never forced, ever. We're not passing buckets down the aisle and staring at you when you put a five in so that hopefully you'll change that to a 50. We're not doing any of that sort of thing because that's not how we give as followers of Jesus. Generosity comes from a willing heart, uh, from a heart that has experienced the joy of Jesus. Generosity is going to flow. That's what we're told begins to happen. So if you want to live a generous life, it has to come freely. Let's jump down to verse 11 as we continue this. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean that your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourself. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now you have plenty and can help those in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. And this way things will be equal. Sustainable generosity is always given wisely. It doesn't bankrupt you and it's not too small. It's proportional to what you have. 
Be generous in proportion to what you have been given, what you have available. Don't base it off of somebody else's bank account. The Macedonian church was full of people who were struggling financially, but they gave in proportion to what they had. Give wisely in that way. And honestly, I know that it's hard to be generous when you don't have that much, but sometimes we're just not that good with our money. We're not really poor. We're Amazon poor or we're Disneyland poor or we're fill in the blank of your favorite restaurant that you've went to six times in the past two weeks poor. Uh, We're not actually poor. We're just spending our money poorly. You know, when I was 18, I would always get so jealous of my friends who didn't have to have jobs in college because I had to, I didn't have money. I didn't, I couldn't just pay to go out to eat and, and not worry about the fact that that was my only, you know, $15 that I had in the account. Well, that will the, will the card bounce? Did I, should I have stopped at the ATM to get money out? Like I would get so jealous of that. But you see, when I was younger, I, I worked. I worked all the way up to college. Uh, starting when I was like 12, I had this sweet mowing gig that they paid me 25 bucks to mow three times a week. So 75 bucks a week. Uh, if you add it up for the mowing season, it was over $1,500. If I would have saved every single year, I could have had a good little chunk of change. But instead, I went and did those like Columbia House CD clubs where you know you buy one and then you get 12, except for the fact that you have to then buy another 10 every month. You know what I'm talking about. If you're of a certain age, you've lived through this reality. And so I wasted all of my money on things like that. Sometimes our issue isn't how much money that we have. It's the way that we spend it. And friends, I want to encourage you, don't let bad spending habits affect your generosity. How else can we be wise though? You know, Sarah and I tithe to our church, which means that we give 10% of our income to the church because that's what we feel like Jesus has asked us to do. But we also give in addition to that to other organizations, uh, missionaries, etc. sometimes. And I'm really picky about the additional money that we give, to be honest. Uh, I want to know that it's going to something worthwhile. I don't like to feel like I'm throwing my money away. Um, I'm I'm picky about these things. So if I give to an organization, what I'm saying is that I really appreciate what they're doing and that I trust them to spend the money well. Let's be honest. When you give to our church or, or choose to not give to our church, part of what you're thinking through is, can I trust them to spend the money well? And I appreciate that. But the question can't be, can I trust Stephen and Sarah with this money to use the money well? The question needs to be, can I trust God to use the money well? Because when you give financially to Vineyard Church of Hopkinton, you're not saying that you trust me. You're saying that you trust that Jesus is leading our church, that we're taking time to listen and to obey what it is that Jesus is calling us to do. Don't trust me with your money. Trust that Jesus is the one who is leading us, that he is in charge of our church. Sustainable generosity always flows from an encounter with Jesus and an overflow of joy. Sustainable generosity is given willingly and sustainable generosity is given wisely. Now I want to look at the next chapter, chapter nine, and talk about what this looks like for us as a church. So read this with me, nine Uh, verse six. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, 
but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share. As scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. So first, if you only throw a couple of seeds on the ground, at best, you're going to get a couple of plants that start to spring up. If you throw hundreds of seeds on the ground, you're going to get more that comes up if you're any good at all at farming uh, versus only throwing two. The more that you put out there, the more you're going to reap. That is farming according to Stephen. It's just that simple. But seriously, generosity grows. Generosity. Stinginess grows. Nothing. If we as a church are generous, we will reap generously. Second, and again, generosity is not forced, but it comes willingly. We as a church are cheerful in our giving. We love to give to our community, to those in need, to those who need it. We want to pour out financially because we have been blessed, so we want to bless others. We're not being forced. We're doing it because we have experienced the love of Jesus, and we want other people to to experience it as well. And lastly, sustainable generosity always leads to having enough. This means that you are generous when you're able, and I'm generous when I'm able, and the two things equal itself out. Uh, And I think that we've done this really well this year. Uh, I took a look at our giving over this past calendar year in in some specific areas to get an idea of this. And, you know, we we offered you opportunities to give uh, at the beginning of COVID to people who were having job issues or or rent, uh, you know, home-based financial issues, uh, to support uh, people in Spain in this community where they were struggling uh, to, to be able to have enough for food to uh, to start our own mobile food pantry that reaches uh, people in our community uh, with food and helps bring security in that way. And uh, during Thanksgiving to, to help supply Thanksgiving dinner for over 100 families. And you responded in amazing ways uh, to the tune of $30,000 that was given to those areas. And that money didn't go to anything else. It went straight to what we told you that they, we were giving it to. It blessed people. And we are so blessed to have so many generous people in our church. Thank you for generously giving year in and year out, whether it's a pandemic or just normal life, simply because you believe in what Jesus is calling our church to do. We appreciate it immensely. But let me do something that I've probably never done, uh, honestly, with our church. And, And it's ask this, if you aren't giving to Vineyard Church of Hopkinton financially, or if you have room to be extra generous, will you give to what Jesus is doing through our church? Will you partner with us in this by giving regularly? Because I believe Jesus is doing something really good here. We're listening and following what it is that he has for us, and we're being led to exciting places. We're growing. We're seeing people come to know Jesus. We're seeing people be discipled through things like 
with small groups in higher numbers than we've seen in many years. Uh, We're loving on the poor in our community, the forgotten and the often neglected. We're, We're being a resource for our community. I don't say this to brag, but when Hopkinton and Milford communities have issues, we are one of the first places that they are calling right now because they trust us to be able to pour into their community, to pastor the community well. And this is an amazing thing. Are you willing to partner in this with us? Verses 10 and 11 say, In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. If we as a church prove to be faithful and trustworthy in our generosity, then we're told that God will increase what he gives us. So why, why give more to our church so that we can be even more generous? That is the bottom line. You know, we recently had, Sarah and I had, had a meeting with, with lots of leaders in our church and we had kind of a dream session. So we sat down and we said to them, what God-sized dreams do you, do you feel like God's given you for our church? And we prayed about it and then we started to work through it. And we started to write down uh, these dreams that God had given us. And people talked about growing the mobile food pantry uh, to include things like English as a second language and job skills and a healthcare clinic. Others talked about having three times as many kids involved in Kids Zone and Vacation. Bible school. Some dreamed about what it would look like for our church to be known as the church in the area for single parents. And I love that sort of a thing. We had dreams about people being healed, learning how to hear the Holy Spirit speak to them more clearly, using the arts in a creative way that brings healing into people's lives. We talked about revival breaking out in our community and large numbers of people coming to know Jesus. And what if it started because of something that that birthed out of this church? Big, huge dreams, God-sized dreams. And I loved it. It made my heart so happy to see it. Friends, I took this list and I put it up on the wall in our office so that I can look at it and pray about it and ask God what it is that he has next next for us. Friends, as we end, God wants us to be generous. He, but I don't want us to be only generous when it's a pandemic or our bathrooms need finished or uh, we have a favorite project that's coming up. I want us to be sustainably generous all the time so that we can move forward in bringing the kingdom of God into our communities in sustainable and lasting ways. Jesus wants us to be sustainably generous. And I believe that God's best is for us to create a structure for seeing righteousness rule and injustice defeated. And that's why I believe that God is calling us to create this culture of sustainable generosity because that is the economy of the kingdom of God. So my question, my invitation to you this morning is, are you willing to join in this? I hold out my hand and I invite you to grab a hold uh, virtually right now to join with us in bringing the kingdom of God on earth the same way it is in heaven. Do you want to be a part of what it is that Jesus is leading us to do? Let's pray. 
Jesus, we thank you for a vision, for a mission, for a calling, for for a focus on where you're leading us, God. And I pray for our church, Lord God. I pray that we will be sustainable in what we do, that we won't just be flash in a pan, that we won't just be reactive, that we won't just be doing nice things for a little bit, but then the money runs out. But that we'll be able to continue to bring your kingdom in our communities in sustainable, lasting ways through our generosity. God, help us to do this well. God, we, we just, once again, uh, we say happily that you are in control. You are in charge of this church. You lead us and we will follow. And we're so grateful for that truth. In Jesus' name, amen.